0: Only in Jeff Styles, America. Jeff Styles here again, Nuga's Jeff Styles, and this is my question to you today. And I know you can't really answer me, but I'm going to ask it anyway a rhetorical question. Can I still play this song? Can I play it on the radio? Can I play it for friends of mine? Can I play it over a PA system? Can I play it in the privacy of my own home or my own car and feel good about myself in today's atmosphere? Can I play this song and enjoy it? Y'all know me. If you've been listening to Storyville or the other show that I do, Rockyology, where I actually do an hour-long music show, it's rare that I mix the two. But, I mean, you you know that I'm not going to be the guy. I'm not going to be that guy that bitches and moans and whines about the Black Lives Matter movement or, you know, what's happening in this country with protesters in the streets. It's time we had protesters in this. It's way past time we had protesters in the streets raising some holy righteous hell about institutional racism in this country, about just excessive brutality on the part of a handful of police officers who just decide that they are the, the judge and the jury and the executioner. And virtually every part of this country, it's not just the South, it's just not Dixieland. It's in Boston, it's in Baltimore, it's in Seattle, it's in San Jose, it's sure as hell in the Dakotas and Idaho and all those big square states out west. Racism is a problem. And I'm not going to try to make light of what's happening by turning into some sort of cartoon as well. We're not allowed to say Dixie. We're not allowed to say anything about the South. And it's not about taking down the statues. It's not about all that stuff, but it is about this. It, it is about what can we, we being Caucasian Americans who have a conscience, who want to be on the right side, what can we say and do? What are the limits? What are the parameters anymore? Even when just talking about sometimes our own memories and our own lives, the, the songs that we like, the movies that we want to watch and not be offensive anymore. There's a reason I'm, I'm talking about this today. I'm going to keep it as short as I can. A friend of mine came in to my radio show this morning, and I say mine, and, and the Argonaut who's here doing this show with me, he, he's in there every morning, too. not pro- have the thing. He, he, he produces the show, and he produces this thing, which keeps him here later than he wants to be. I produce every damn thing. He's the producer. Ah. All right? So um, uh, one of my very, very good friends here in town, and a, a coworker, and another job that I had for years and years doing a music festival here in town and another music series on the side. His name is Joe Fuller. You know who calls him Joe? Telemarketers? Exactly. His mom, telemarketers, the officer who pulls him over and looks at his license, which probably happens more often than he'd like to talk about, and that's it. Everybody calls him Dixie. That's his name. If, If somebody hollers Joe on the street, he doesn't turn around. He's had the name Dixie since he was a roadie with the band Alabama when Alabama was brand new. And I, I don't even know if they were called Alabama then, to be frank. I mean, out of you know Fort Payne, Alabama, right down the road from where we are in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Randy Owen, the lead singer and the front man for the band, gave him that name. And guess what it had to do with? Not being from the South. It has a whole story behind it. It has to do with a produce company. I swear to God it had nothing to do with being from the south yes i know that they had a song called dixieland delight and and you know i know they had christmas in dixie his nickname had nothing to do with it he was a, he was a guitar tech and a drummer and actually played on some of the tracks that that alabama had but his nickname didn't come about when he was a very young man on the road with this band because they were from the south It had something to do with, yes, a produce company, Dixie Produce, and and, and a hat and a shirt that he wore and some other things that probably had to do with groupies and contraband. We won't go into that. That's his story to tell. But his name is Dixie, and he actually had to take to Facebook the other day, and this was right after the Dixie Chicks came out and officially shortened their name because they want to do the right thing because they're women of conscience, they're progressive thinkers, as we all know, and they just dropped their name to the chicks. Yes, if I was that guy, I'd be going, isn't that offensive too? Isn't it defensive just to call some chick, hey, chick, you know, if they don't want to be called, the, but they want to be called the chick. So that's their business. They dropped Dixie. So Dixie, my buddy, it feels weird to call him Joe. He actually had to do this whole Facebook post about, no, I'm not changing my nickname. I'm still Dixie. And it just got me thinking this morning as we were talking, this has gotten weird. I, I played a song yesterday from Dickie Betts. Dickie Betts, yes, the sometimes ostracized but incredibly talented and productive lead guitarist for the Almond Brothers. His side project was called The Great Southern, Dickie Betts and The Great Southern. They did a song that was heart-wrenching. It was the best song they ever did with that side project that Dickie ever did, and it was called Atlanta's Burning Down. It was written through the eyes and the perspective of a man who was trying to get back with his woman in the midst of Sherman's march. He He was trying to get to Richmond to hook back up with General Lee's army, and it was just just a clusterfuck is what it was. And he had heard that Atlanta was being burned back where his girl was, and he was caught in between two forces trying to do the right thing. He didn't give a damn about slaves. He was just trying to get back with the army he joined up with, and he couldn't do that. And Now he couldn't get back home to where his girl Jenny was somewhere in that mass of smoke and ruin. And it's a heartbreak of a song. And are you not supposed to feel for this guy? He wasn't fighting for slavery. He wasn't fighting for keeping somebody down. He was fighting because there were people on his home ground that had invaded. That's the way he saw it. And he just wanted to be back with his girl. Is it okay for me to listen to that song? We we talked last week a, a lot about the fact that Gone with the Wind was taken off of the commercial TV airwaves for a week or so. And then somebody said, Okay, look, you know, it's a classic, it won every award that you could possibly have. Nineteen thirty-nine, possibly the best move movie year ever. I mean, nineteen thirty-nine was the year that all other years that Hollywood has ever produced a movie in is compared to. And Gone with the Wind eclipsed everything else that was made that year. Yeah, if you look at it through the eyes of twenty twenty, it looks archaic and it has way too many racially charged, you know, moments and, and symbols and, and, and just figures and language in it. And it's, it's not terribly sensitive. It did, however, garner the first ever Academy Award for an African American actress. If that's worth anything, it kind of broke ground to a degree. So Things you say, things you do, uh, T-shirts, hats, bumper stickers, stuff that's just part of our everyday language. I'm going to end this podcast today with a song. And it's going to kind of just wrap up what I'm about to talk about. Um, it's, it's by a lady named Trish Walker out of Nashville, no surprise there, um, called Heart of Dixie. And it's not about... The Heart of Dixie, as in the southern United States, is about a woman named Dixie who was her maid. I had a maid when I was young. I didn't. My family did. My family was a middle class, not upper middle class. Middle class as they come, white family in the south. My mother went back to work after she had me And I went to school when I was five, kindergarten, six, first grade. And then we moved up north. Well, Ohio, if you consider Ohio the north, we did. Um, And they didn't have maids up north, but they did in the south. And you know what maids were? They were the help. Remember that movie? Remember the controversy and the entire national conversation that it started the help the movie was about that strange place and yes it dealt with a lot of racial undertones overtones some overt racism but also just the place that these people these women these men sometimes had and held in our lives and i'm sure that there were homes where they were looked down upon There were homes where they were treated like second-class citizens, but there were homes where they were welcomed in because they were taking a very, very valuable place in that home, the rearing of the children. They were homemakers. They were keeping the place clean. They were cooking meals. They were essentially being moms and dads to the kids. And that is what my maid There is no other word that was ever used in in my house. So I don't know what else to call Ollie. Ollie was her name. In Trish Walker's home, the lady's name was Dixie. I'll let her explain it in her song here at the end of today's show. Um, Ollie Keith was her name. The first time it ever hit me that it was unusual for other people. I had left the South, gone up North, been raised up there, come back to the South after we had a death in the family. And then I was at college. I was at college surrounded by a bunch of artsy, Fartsy people, trippy-dippy people that I, w- I was attracted to, these, these left-of-center progressive types with long hair and earrings for the guys and, and uh, you know all brawless chicks and, and smoking dope and listening to crazy music. And I'm going, wow, I like these folks. And one day I mentioned the maid that we used to have. Ooh, crickets, pins dropping made. And all of a sudden there's these kids from the Northeast, from Providence, Rhode Island, and such places, and they're looking at me going made. And now they're looking at me like I'm Little Lord Fauntleroy wearing purple pantaloons, like I'd been raised in some sort of, you know, (laughs) some sort of I don't know, aristocratic household in the southern gentry. I'd been raised at t- in terror. You know, we had household slaves, and, and and the help was hither and yon, you know, at, at my every call and beckon. I, 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 yeah, Ollie, Ollie, and I'm trying to explain Ollie, and it was going nowhere. For the first time in my life, I realized that that was something I couldn't just mention in polite public, and I was befuddled. I was befuddled. Ollie, I am pretty sure of this. The, 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 the memory is going to be fairly muddled and strange because it was a long time ago. I was very young. I'm pretty sure in my young, befuddled brain that I for some time thought Ollie might have been my mom. Because she was there when I woke up. And she was there when I went to bed for the most part. She really was. My mom went back to work as a bank teller and also had stuff that she had to do on the side for my family, my extended family. She was there all the time. She made three meals a day. I know that. I mean, my, my memories of Ollie, well, she was always there just plain and simple. We would we would leave in the afternoon during the summertime, well, during pretty much the entire year, but during the summertime, I just remember it more clearly because of the sounds of the, the Southern, you know, summer. Uh, cicadas and, and, and birds and just the feeling of it. I mean, that Southern air during the South is just heavy. It's palpable. And her holding my hand. And it's going to Bill Harville's store. Bill Harville was an old World War II veteran who was in a wheelchair and he just lived in the store that he actually operated, just, just right across this road, this uh, state road. And you had to be real careful crossing it because it was on a hilltop and people just flew. And and she would hold my hand and we would go and get a, a, a Coke or as her generation called it. And my, both my grandmothers also did this as well. A dope. Go get a dope. And that actually meant the old standard six and a half ounce Coca-Cola bottles. And don't tell me that the Coca-Cola inside those six and a half ounce Hard glass bottles was not different than the Coca-Cola. You get in those big heartless two liter plastic abominations that they have out there. Now, I guarantee you it was different. And I don't think it still had cocaine in it. Maybe it did. I don't know. But a dope and a moon pie or a dope and an ice cream, you know, treat of some kind and that's what we would do. And we would sit there, and, and Ollie wasn't allowed to actually eat on the bench inside. It took me a long time to figure that one out, too. We had to go to the bench outside to eat our ice cream treat or our moon pie and drink our dope or our Coca-Cola, our Coca-Cola as we called it. And, uh, and Mr. Harville would wheel out and sit and talk to us. He had no problem with talking to Ollie when she was outside, but she couldn't stay inside. Like I said, I had to piece this together because that would have upset some of the other customers. So, you know, there was racism. There was segregation. I didn't see it through my young eyes. As the drive-by truckers say in one of their songs, those purveyors of the southern thang in the world of rock, and they're from Alabama, race was nothing more than a word on television in my household. It wasn't a real thing when I was growing up. But anyway, one of my earliest memories of Ollie was her walking with my hand in her hand. And suddenly this old woman, she seemed like Methuselah to me. I mean, I don't know how old she was at the time. And she had always had a a do-rag in her hair. And she had one eye that was a little off kilter. Um, If you also remember Oprah Winfrey's role in Color Purple, she took a beating and one of her eyes sort of went akimbo. And I found out much later in life that that is similar to what happened to Ollie when she was young. She took a beating, and one of her eyes kind of went askew. But you know, she was just a mom to me. But we're walking, and suddenly she leaped, leaped like some sort of Olympic athlete, and yanked me with her. And my arm almost came out of the socket, and it was a snake. It was a copperhead that was in the trail. We were walking by this little swing set that somebody had in the backyard, and I was actually beginning to pull toward the swing set, and boom! We were 15 feet away, and she had pulled me through the air you know, behind her. And there was a copperhead coiled up, not a rattlesnake. There was no warning. And it was just right there. Just, and it would have struck me for sure. Just one of those things that was just singed into my brain. At any rate, I'm in college It's the first time that it hits me that my memory was not the same as everybody else's. And Ollie stayed in my life throughout the time that I actually got married and had my own children. She lived to a ripe old age, and at this point I have left, I've gone to college, I've moved away. But every time I came home to my grandmother's house, my mama Jet's house, which is my maternal grandmother who lived to be 102, Ollie was there taking care of her up until a ripe old age. And my children actually were raised when they were down in the little tiny town of Bowden, Georgia, by Ollie. She loved them like she loved me, and I guarantee you one thing. She loved me like I was her child. And when she ate, she ate at the dinner table with us. There was always a discomforting time there. She literally felt like she should not, and she was made to. By my mom and my dad. Now, when the whole family got together, she wouldn't hear of it. I mean, when my grandfather and my grandmother and all the other cousins were there, I mean, we had a seating problem at that point anyway, and we were all spread out, and she would go and sit with the smaller kids at a little folding table. And I mean, that she had her place. That I'm not saying that she, that was her place. I'm just saying she made her place. It was a placemat, and that's where she sat because she wanted to be with the kids. That's what she said. But that, I'm just saying when it was just us in our house, she sat at the table and— I I know this sounds like I'm patronizing, but it's just the way it was. It's just the way it was. She was a member of the family. At Christmas, we traded presents. She always got presents. And you know what? And she gave us presents. It was just part of the deal. Now, I know that you think I'm just coming up with this haze of nostalgia and I'm making it sound better than it was. It was just, it was my life, it was my raising. It was the way I was reared, and it, these are my memories. But I no longer feel comfortable talking about them in polite company. Can you imagine me sitting at some sort of chamber of commerce here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, gathering with a bunch of folks and having some young liberal type sitting to the to the left of me over here, and they've got a little you know, ear bob and a nose ring and, and some dreadlocks going on in their white, you know, Twenty-eight-year-old somethings that have just kind of gotten into the world of business out of uh, you know with their whatever their degree is from college, and suddenly start talking about the maid that I had when I was young. Imagine the the looks I'd be getting from them, and then the young black professionals sitting over here to my right, who are working you know wherever they're working with their IT jobs, and and the look that they would be giving me when I talk about the maid that my family had. And, and trying to laugh about memories that I had with them, and they'd be looking at me like, oh my God, I'm here with the, the Grand Klegel of the Clavern. I have to be careful about the things I say, I have to be careful with my own memories and the language that we have. We, we have a black coworker here at the radio station. If I refer to him as an African American, I would be absolutely incorrect. His family is from Guyana. Do y'all know where Guyana is, boys and girls? It is not in Africa. It is in South America. My wife is Venezuelan. She is American, South American. So is Keon. He's American, South American. I guarantee you he gets called African-American probably five or six times a day. It is never accurate. I have a very good friend who is from South Africa. He is whiter than me. He's an Afrikaner. I could call him African-American, and I would be accurate. He never gets called African-American. It's a 100% guarantee. Never happens. He's got the accent that would absolutely tell you he's from South Africa. Never gets called African-American. I'm sure Keon never, ever corrects anybody. I'm sure he gets old. What's wrong with the word Black. I'm listening to an interview with Chuck D, Public Enemy. I love that band. I, I think Chuck D is just a, a prophet in his own time. And he's talking about on his, his birth certificate, it says Negro. He's, he's my age, maybe a year older than me. And he said he, re, he remembers when James Brown made it okay to say black. They had fought for Negro. And in 1968... All the white kids are walking around going, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And it, said, and it was okay to say black, and I still say black. And now I kind of jump back and go, is it okay to say black? Hell, I don't know. I got to go with what I know. So I'm going to go ahead and continue to listen to Little Feet's Dixie Chicken and like it. And I'm going to go ahead and continue to say black when I mean black. And if they want me to say African-American, I'll say African-American. And if they want me to say chick, I'll say chick. And sometimes I might say black chick and offend somebody. And if they tell me they're offended, I won't ever say it again. That's an absolute promise. And if I'm talking about Ollie, I'm just going to say Ollie. And I have, I have stories I could tell about Ollie for days. Her son, R.C. Keith, I have actually told the story about my relationship with R.C. Keith, also known as Whoop, in this podcast a couple of times before and the impact that his life and my friendship with him and his death in particular had on me. So I'm not going to do that again today. These are confusing times for everybody, and we're trying to feel out exactly where we are, those of us who care, those of us who give a damn, Are trying to be sensitive and trying to be careful when I met Trish Walker when she was playing at the aforementioned music festival that we have here in town she and I had a great off-air conversation a very good but very much shorter on-air conversation about this song and about everything I've just talked about on today's Storyville and this was several years ago, and she had struggled as I have struggled with this whole how do you broach this anymore in conversation. The movie, The Help, actually did help quite a bit because it kind of brought it all out. Right now, I guess there are lots of conversations being had. I'm not sure which ones are helping and which ones are not, but at any rate— Today's Storyville, I just want you to think. I want you to just kind of ponder about your own language, your own stories. How comfortable are you telling your stories using your normal language, your own linguistics, your own vocabulary? Maybe you should change things up a little bit. I think most people who are the same skin tone as me have all had this experience where you're in a room with people who look just like you and there's some idiot who decides he's going to tell a joke or say something and they look around the room they kind of do this number right here and then they drop the N-word. They drop a bomb of some kind and they think it's okay. And if you are that person, fuck you. It's not okay. It is so not okay. And I never hesitate to say that. I'm not worried about their feelings. We get sick of it. Most everybody does. I used that word one time in my life in front of my family. And guess what? In front of Ollie, I was very young. I'd heard somebody tell a joke in the first grade, and it got a laugh out of several people. I didn't even know what the word meant, but people laughed. And so I told it at the dinner table and my dad backhanded me completely out of my chair. And when my mom told me why I'd been backhanded and what the word meant and that it hurt Ollie's feelings, I still feel shame today. And you should too, if you use that word ever. Well, I'm going to let Trish sing her song And take us out today And it's called Heart of Dixie I think it's a beautiful song That bears a very beautiful sentiment And one that I relate to And I appreciate you she listening
1: She lived in a two-room shack On the edge of town By the railroad track Went to work for my mama When they were both about 16 Her name was Dixie And it fit her right she and Mama were a lot alike. But one was black and the other white. And that's the way it was back then. When Mama passed in 63, Dixie worked for Mama and took care of me. In my eyes, she was family, because you know kids are colorblind. Jesus said we were all alike. Daddy said yes, child, but not quite. And while I tried to figure who was right, Dixie loved me like one of her own. Mississippi ground She came to church when I was wed 92 and almost dead All dressed up in her Sunday best Cause she didn't have long to go And I remember the night she died The angels sang and mama cried Dixie Cross to the other side And Jesus called her home Mississippi ground. Now when I get troubled, start feeling down. I can hear old Dixie's voice saying, baby, come here and sit down. And I wonder if a love like that can still be found. Lord, I pray you keep that love so pure and sweet that I know lives deep in the heart of Dixie.